starting a business is one of the most spontaneous and risky things that you could do, right? Uh, I remember literally when I decided to pursue dog training and I just wanted to go work for somebody for a little bit. But the fact I was leaving a quote unquote, like stable, normal job to do this weird exotic thing where frankly, when I quit my job and went into that space, I didn't even really know how much money I was going to be making or anything like that. That's kind of an uncomfortable, weird thing, right? But you could look back now to hell to 11 years, whatever it's been since then. And, uh, you know, that's the best decision that I ever made was making that decision and pulling that plug. Let's discover what people are building in the greater Cleveland community. We are telling the stories of Northeast Ohio's entrepreneurs, builders, and those supporting them. Welcome to the Lay of the Land podcast, where we are exploring what people are building in Cleveland and throughout Northeast Ohio. I am your host, Jeffrey Stern, and today I had the real pleasure of speaking with David Turpak, the founder of Miracle Canine Training. Since founding the company in 2019, David has grown Miracle Canine Training to a thriving 15-person organization, a multi-million dollar top-line revenue business, and one of the most respected dog training centers in Northeast Ohio. David's dog training story started when he got his very first dog, Vera. As someone who had never had dogs growing up and did not really understand what he was doing with one, the first logical step seemed like finding a dog trainer to learn everything he could from. After working with three different dog trainers and working under another for over two years, he started to realize that there was a huge gap in the dog training world for true behavioral rehabilitation. Shortly after, David started his first dog training company, Heights Canine Dog Training, and proceeded to spend the next three years traveling the country to meet other world-renowned dog trainers and dedicated himself to creating dog training programs geared towards helping the everyday dog owner to be successful long-term with dogs that have more serious behavioral issues. In those three years, David helped to build Heights Canine into a thriving business with three locations across Ohio, gaining national recognition for the work they were doing there. In January of 2019, David left that company to get back to what he loves doing, which is training dogs. That's when he formed Miracle Canine Training, a more specialized dog training facility that was first and foremost a dog training center, which meant more specialized staff, a larger group of trainers, and additional services like daycare, boarding, and grooming that have an emphasis on keeping the dogs mentally stimulated and structured during their stay. David has such a genuine passion and enthusiasm for this work. It was a real joy to learn more about his journey, his philosophy on dogs, his growth as an entrepreneur, and the impact that he's having here in Northeast Ohio. So please enjoy my conversation with David Turpak after a brief message from our sponsor. Lay of the Land is brought to you by Impact Architects and by 90. As we share the stories of entrepreneurs building incredible organizations in Cleveland and throughout Northeast Ohio, Impact Architects has helped hundreds of those leaders, many of whom we have heard from as guests on this very podcast, realize their own visions and build these great organizations. I believe in Impact Architects and the people behind it so much that I have actually joined them personally in their mission to help leaders gain focus, align together, and thrive by doing what they love. If you two are trying to build great, Impact Architects is offering to sit down with you for a free consultation or provide a free trial through 90, the software platform that helps teams build great companies. If you're interested in learning more about partnering with Impact Architects or by leveraging 90 to power your own business, please go to ia.layoftheland.fm. The link will also be in our show notes.
So I was thinking about uh, where a fun place to start the conversation would be. And uh, it came to me, actually, as I was listening to your podcast, uh, which, you know, rewinding all the way back to the time machine to your your first episode, <laughs> you started it by laying down uh, three quotes, yeah. which, which I loved. And I thought it would be a fun place to start because I think they're kind of timeless quotes. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Uh, many years later, you know, just with what you built with the <laughs> podcast, with Miracle Canine Training, the evolution of your career, uh, would love to start with those and, and your reflections on them. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, first off, you probably have to, I, I believe there was like maybe a Tony Robbins, a Jim Rohn, and somebody else quote. I truthfully don't remember what they were at this point. You know, what's funny is that very first episode we did, I was so stressed out going into it initially. I was like, oh my God, I'm starting this podcast. It needs to be so deep and organized and and this and that. And the night before I made this whole freaking like breakdown, like written out sheet with like all the bullet points and all that kind of stuff in it. And then um, I lost it somehow between the night (laughs) before and the next morning we recorded it and I deleted the file from my computer so I couldn't reprint it. So I had to just like somehow remember how I found those quotes, Google them and just wing the rest of it. <laughs> but in a nutshell, I think if I don't, if I think if I recall, I can play them back for you if you want. Oh, man. Um, the, the first one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah. If you really want to do something, you'll find a way. And yeah. If you don't, you'll find an excuse. Damn. That's it's a big one, man. I mean, like. <laughs> The, the, in the game of business, you know, whatever, however you want to frame it, right? Like there's just like, you're going to get punched so many times, right? And if you really want it, if you really want to make something happen, you're going to make it happen, right? And this stands true to myself, right? And the trials and tribulations that we've faced over the course of Miracle Canine or the podcast or whatever it may be. And this stands true when I have and I'm sure you're the same, right? Like you're a business minded guy, right? I'm sure you have conversations with people sometimes where they're, whether asking your opinion on something or venting about something or trying to better themselves. And you're just like, I could list out 15 different solutions for your problem right now. And I'm not saying they're going to be easy, but like you could make this work. Right. Um, and you know, people are either going to take that information and be like, wow, that's accurate. And and I'm going to go do those things, or they're going to come up with an excuse for it. Right. And this isn't me shitting on my friends and, you know, being being bad to them or anything like that or or, or friends or family members or anything like that. But in the end of the day, if you want to do something, you're going to be able to figure out how to make it work. There's always a path to get to that thing. Right. Which which segs perfectly to to the next one, which was if you talk about it, it's a dream. If you envision it, it's possible. Yeah. And if you schedule it, it's real. So the scheduling thing, when I read that quote, when I was looking up quotes, that one was so important, I felt like, because that's where you get into the uh, the motivation conversation, right? Where like a lot of people are always looking for motivation or they're looking for the right time or any of those types of things where that'll that'll get you through things a little bit. You know, obviously the initial motivation of we're doing this right. Um, But the discipline of even if I don't have the motivation, I'm going to keep doing this thing is really what's going to get you all the way there, right? Um, whether that's a podcast, right? Like we do our podcast every Thursday. Yeah. Every Thursday without fail in the morning, it is scheduled in my calendar. We're filming a podcast unless I'm out of town or some sort of emergency comes up. And even then we move it to a different day, right? Uh, and the amount of times that I've sat down to do the podcast and I do it with a co-host of mine, a buddy who is also like my media guy. 
And we'll sit down and we'll sit there for like an hour and a half. Like we have no idea what the hell we're going to talk about right now. Right. <laughs> and it's like not even until we like then go because we film it at my house. We go from like my living room to outside to like upstairs to where the podcast studio is. And then we sit down and we still don't know. And then I'm like, we got to hit record right now, man. And I'll just like just like jot down like four little rough topics and like, boom, we're doing it right because it's scheduled. I don't have the motivation for it right now. I don't know what I'm going to talk about, but we got to get this thing done, right? It's scheduled into getting done today. And some of those episodes have wound up being the best ones, you know, the funnest, most exciting or interesting, or, or just, you know, we get off on a tangent on something or whatever it may be. Um, the, the scheduling it out is so important, or it could be, your social media presence, right? Like so many businesses around here. And I stay, I stay pretty up to date with my competition in the area. I'm sure. Yeah. And, uh, as any business owner should do is be aware of the competition. Don't obsess over it, but be aware of it. Right. And, uh, you know, there's ones that haven't made a post in two weeks, you know, and it's, I don't know. I just, uh, you know, if you schedule it out and you make sure, Hey, we got to put some content up, we got to keep our name in, in people's mouths and in people's ears. Right. Um, you, you're going to go further because of it. And then you're going to look back two and a half years from now, right? And be like, damn, like I'm 140 episodes into this podcast, right? Or I got 20,000 followers on Instagram or whatever, you know? Yeah. So scheduling, you know, rely on motivation, like motivation, but rely on your scheduling more so. Yeah. And I, and I found similarly, you know, every Thursday for the last, you know, yeah. many years now, the, the just the consistency of it gives people who are not yourself something they can rely on too, if you've held yourself to that scheduling. That's a great point. I think, uh, you know, especially in the podcasting space, like I, there's people I follow, right. That I'm like, I know that I could go on your page in the morning and there's going to be something inspirational or cool or a new episode or something like that, that I could rely on every day. And that's the reason why I keep going back to that person, where if it was just up in the air of like, well, when this person is motivated to make a podcast, they're going to make one. And it might be three weeks from now. It might be two days from now. Um, I, I lose interest uh, much more uh, quickly in those people, I would say. Yeah. All right. Number three. All right. This, this is a really fun way to start it. <laughs> Every day, do something that makes you uncomfortable. Yeah. Man. Okay. So th this is an interesting one, right? Because like the philosophy on it, I don't know. Who, uh, I don't remember who exactly that quote was from, but I, I think uh, somebody who talks about that a lot is like Tim Ferriss, right? Tim Ferriss is really big on the like, he used to do the like, I think in one of his books I read or his TED talk, he talked about like, go to the coffee shop and ask for a 10% discount on your coffee just because, right? Because it's uncomfortable and it's weird and it's going to push you out of your comfort zone a little bit, right? And if you look at, I'm sure a lot of the most important things that you've done or the coolest things you've done, they've probably been the spontaneous and a little risky things right? Um, starting a business is one of the most spontaneous and risky things that you could do, right? Yep. Uh, I remember literally when I decided to pursue dog training, and I just wanted to go work for somebody for a little bit. But the fact that I was leaving a quote unquote, like stable, normal job to do this weird exotic thing, where frankly, when I quit my job and went into that space, I didn't even really know how much money I was going to be making or anything like that. That's kind of an uncomfortable, weird thing, right? Um, but you could look back now, to hell to 11 years, whatever it's been since yeah. then. And, uh, you know, that's the best decision that I ever made was making that decision and pulling that plug. Yeah. Taking a step back from all this really fun foundation to yeah. build on. This is great, by the way. This is a <laughs> strong, this is probably the strongest start to a podcast I've ever done. <laughs> I love to hear that. Yeah. Tell us a little about your story. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. So, so to not get too crazy with it. So, um, I own a company called Miracle Canine Training. 
We're a boarding, training, daycare facility on the west side of Cleveland, Ohio. Um, I've been training dogs now for right around 11 years or so, give or take a a month or two. Um, And um, I never had dogs growing up or anything. Um, I frankly, if you would ask me when I was a kid, if I liked dogs, wanted a dog, was going to have a dog, I probably would have been pretty uh, unopinionated on it. Um, The only reason why I started getting into dogs in the first place was because uh, when I moved out on my own, uh, a couple friends had dogs and it seemed cool. And, you know, <laughs> girls were kind of into dogs and stuff. And I was like, eh, sounds fun. Let's give it a go. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I, I got my first dog. And up until that point, because I had so little experience with dogs, um, you know, my only experience with them was basically friends that had dogs that were poorly behaved that would either bark at me or jump all over me or just be annoying, frankly. And I knew I didn't want that. Um, so I, decided to pursue um, learning how to train this dog pretty much right away, right? Um, so started kind of getting into that field at the time. Professionally, you know, I had a, a, a regular job, but I was pursuing music. I was in a band. We did touring. And I really thought that was going to kind of be my my route, my golden sure. ticket, right? Yeah, we yeah. were kind of gaining some traction with it. Things were going well. Um, long story short, that all kind of uh, fell apart a little bit. And I had this dog, right? And I was really enjoying working with her and training with her and and stuff like that. Um, wasn't super thrilled with the idea of working in a factory my entire life. And, uh, as I started progressing and moving through trainers to try to learn as much as I could about dog training, uh, an opportunity presented itself where I could go work for the company that I was training at. Um, and, uh, had a, uh, a buddy that I knew from before that was already working there. It was kind of an in for me and decided to kind of pull the trigger and, and move, move into that field. And the rest kind of grew from there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Did did you feel that you always had this enterprising spirit where, you know, you knew that you would be going off on your own no, later? No, not at all. So I never, never in a million years, I would say not that it wasn't in me, but I was never self-conscious of any sort of like entrepreneurialness. I knew I was like a rule breaker, like my whole life, which I feel like entrepreneurs and like rule breakers kind of go hand in hand, right? Yep. Um, you know. But but there was never a single thought in my mind of like, oh, I want to start my own company, right? Like my parents are, you know, middle class uh, people that worked for somebody and climbed the ladder in their respective jobs and worked a hard day of work and came home and, and supported their family and stuff like that. Uh, and that's all I really knew. You know, nobody in my family was entrepreneurs or doing big things or anything like that. So what wound up happening was I was working for this guy and I was working for him with this buddy that I had known prior to. and. The conditions just weren't great, right? Like he was kind of an absent owner, you know, whatever, just wasn't providing what we wanted. We kind of had to basically learn how to run the company because he wasn't really there very much and stuff. And, uh, you know, it just kind of progressively kept getting worse. And we made the decision that it's like, all right, well, we need to figure out some sort of solution for this. And it wasn't even my idea, honestly. In my mind, I was like, well, I'm just going to leave this place and just go find a job somewhere else. Um, But the, um, the guy that I worked with, he was an entrepreneurial guy, right? He had had businesses prior to, he's very smart from that standpoint, right? And he's like, well, let's just start a company, right? So we uh, ultimately kind of worked out a little bit of a game plan where it was like, all right, well, this business right here, the owner, he had a lot of personal stuff going on. There was no way he was going to start becoming active with this company again, right? But we had an existing clientele there, right? We had daycare clients coming in. We had boarding clients coming in. We had training packages all paid in full, purchased out for like six months, right? Um, the company had no money 
right? So basically, we worked out a deal that was a win-win for everybody that was, okay, well, sign over the lease to this building. We don't want the company from the standpoint of like the name or anything. Yep. We want the location because it's very, the you know, boarding and daycare is very geographically located, obviously. Um, and, you know, you could walk away scot-free from this. You could take whatever cash and all that you have left, go do whatever you want with it. And we will render out all of these services that are paid for on our dime. And, uh, you know, you get to walk away from this scot-free because if not, he would have had to refund I mean, it was like tens and tens of thousands of dollars of services, right? Um, which which he wasn't really in a position to do. Um, or we could just do those services and uh, start our own thing. And that's what we wound up doing. And that's when we formed my first company, which was uh, Heights K9, which we formed in January of 2015. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and that was kind of the start of it. Like I said, I had no thought, even at that point, I was like, I don't, I don't know anything about running a business. I was pretty much leaning into this guy that was my business partner. Uh, from the sense of like, he was able to get, you know, the LLC started, right? He was able to get the bank account situated and, you know, talk to lawyers and like do all of that kind of stuff and, and and focus on that side of things. And I knew I was really good at training dogs. So I was like, all right, well, I'll train the dogs. You do that. And uh, we'll kind of see where this goes from here. From that experience, where is the origin of, of Miracle Canine? Yeah. So that was obviously the best thing that could have happened to me was becoming a business partner with him and him helping kickstart me on this journey into entrepreneurship, obviously. And given like my obsessive personality, I would say that over the course of those four years that we owned that company together, um, I wanted to learn more about the business side of things, which is what kind of sparked that drive into it. But inevitably, you know, as you're moving along, because we got into owning this company out of like kind of desperation together with each other, um, there was never this sit down talk of like, you know, where do we want to see this thing go? Right. How do we want to see this thing grow? What are our, um, you know, plans, right? Like what's our exit strategy if it doesn't work out, you know, like there was never any of the like important side of the conversation of like, all right, well, yeah, yeah. we own something together, right? This isn't just like, Hey man, let's, you know, we're buddies now and let's, let's kind of do this thing, right? Like this, this can evolve into something that, that is really big, which it did. Right. So um, as things kind of went along and I learned more about the business side of things um, and my skills and training grew and my kind of reputation grew and stuff like that, we hit this point where there was just very clear differences as far as what we wanted out of things, you know, and it was pretty apparent from the beginning. There were some very important things that I would say we disagreed on, you know, from the get go as far as operational things and how we wanted to grow and all of that. Um, and I, there, there were multiple times over the course of that company that I considered leaving it, but just had cold feet on it. You know, like I didn't feel like I was in a position to like start my own thing yet. I didn't trust myself that I was going to be able to like make it work and figure it out. Like we talked about in the first quote. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, as things kind of moved along, I would say the, the, I don't want to call it animosity, but the differences just kind of kept getting more and more apparent as the company grew, you know, where it was just kind of like, listen, man, like we got to figure something out. Like neither of us are happy right now. Let's figure out, let's figure out a solution for this. Right. Right. Yeah. No, it resonates because it's not that it ever gets easier. Is different no, problems, yeah, but yeah. It, should, it should, should be fun. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, and it, and, and it, it you know, we, there was, like I said, I'm, I'm sure both of us can say the same. There was just, there's too much tension and stuff, you know, and, and it wound up being the best thing for both of us exiting because we worked out a deal where, our first company, we actually had multiple locations, which we could get into, you know, all sorts of issues with scaling, as we were just talking about oh, there, yeah, right? Scaling yeah. a company way too quickly without the right foundations and stuff, right? Um, where we, we were able to work out a deal where basically he kept one of the locations, I kept one of the locations, you know, even split, everybody's happy. You operate how you want to, I operate how I want to, you know? And that's yeah, where yeah. Miracle kind of started. 
amazing. Yeah. And maybe this is just me, but I would imagine when, when most people think about, you know, dog training as a business category, I, I would not imagine that the first thing that comes to mind is like a multi-million dollar rapidly scaling business, uh, that, that is, a uh, you know, young in its nature, sure. you know, it's really a cool journey that I think you've been on. And I, I'd love to understand what the vision for the company was at the beginning. And if, you know, in retrospect, you know, it's where you are now. Did, did you anticipate that you would, you know, grow in this, in this kind of way? Well, getting back to not having had a lot of like entrepreneurial experience getting into all of this kind of stuff. Um, and given the fact that over my first company, truthfully, I wasn't that involved in the like business side of things, right? Like the finances, the taxes, like all of that kind of stuff. Like I didn't deeply understand a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, I knew it was, you know, it's obviously, you know, when you look at like how much you're charging for certain services, right? Um, you look at how many people are coming in the door, right? You're making sales calls and stuff like that. Like I know we're making money, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but it was hard to really grasp, you know, how quickly things could have grown, you know? Um, I'm trying to get back to the original question, which was like, you know, did I envision it? No, I didn't envision it at all. Um, but looking back at it, I would say like any industry really has quite a bit of growth opportunity to it if you look at it, right? Right. Um, and, you know, yeah, as a sole dog trainer, like you can make good money, obviously, but like you're not really going to be able to scale it that huge. Um, but the second you start turning things into a business and scaling it and getting multiple people that can do the same thing as you and you can provide more services, right? Um, yeah, anything has the ability to kind of grow to that level, I would say. Yeah. Was that the question? Did I yeah, answer yeah. that? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think I, I feel like I forgot it like halfway through as I was answering it. <laughs> yeah. And, and we'll, we'll circle back to that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I want to ground a little bit of the, the growth of Miracle Canine sure. in the, you know, the nature of it, it is that what, you know, what you're doing and yeah. just dog training and, sure. and the industry itself and how it's evolved over time and, and mm -hmm. what it, what it kind of looks like today. Yeah. Um, so if you could just kind of like paint a picture of the dog training industry, you know, where, where are we at? Yeah. Um, it's obviously become increasingly popular over the last five to 10 years, I would say, you know, dog training's always existed on different scales. Right. Um, but from a business standpoint, I think the internet is what really blew it up. Right. Like I know, like as a kid growing up and even when I first started training my first dog that I got, I didn't really grasp like what could be accomplished with dog training. Like to me, dog training was always, you know, you go to PetSmart and you got a class and you pay a hundred dollars to go in and do a couple puppy classes and, right, right. and that's it. And, you know, as I talk to clients like over and over and over again, like that's their picture of what, what it is in a lot of cases as well as all of them call it. Like, yeah, I did puppy training when they were younger at PetSmart. Like, I don't know why their behavior is this way and stuff like that. And nothing against PetSmart, but it's like, that's not really training, right? So what the internet was able to do was it was able to put people in a position where they would post videos, right? And generate content of real training, right? And good training. And it's not that people weren't doing it prior to, it's just it wasn't making its rounds and becoming as popular as it is right now. So now I think people just have a different picture in their head of what they can do from a training standpoint with their dog, which is causing them to seek out training help and be willing to pay a bigger price for that service because they've been able to see how much it can greatly impact your life. Like your, uh, was that your boss out there? Partners. Yeah. Partners. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what he was just saying before he came in, he's got uh, an Irish wolfhound, which for people that don't know, it's like 120 to 140 pound dog. It's a big ass dog. Right. Yeah. And when you look at 
a lot of people, that dog outweighs your average human being in a lot of cases. You know what I mean? His wife, if she goes out to walk that dog, that dog is bigger and stronger than she is, right? So without really, really good training established, that dog, frankly, even if it's not aggressive, can ruin your life. You know what I mean? I was sharing a short a story about a client of mine who had his shoulders like literally ripped out of the socket because his dog's Great Danes were lunging at people. You know what I mean? Like the amount of money and stress and headache these dogs can cause people, again, without even adding aggression or serious behavioral issues onto the table uh, is extraordinary, right? So you just ask yourself like, you know, what's it worth it to you to get those problems fixed? And the fact there are solutions out there that people now can go online and see in the form of testimonials, videos, things like that. Um, Yeah, that's, uh, it's, getting back to like how the industry has grown and how we've been able to scale this company, like there's a huge market for that. Yeah. Yeah. What, one of the things that I wanted to to ask you about, and it's, it's probably like a two prong question, sure. uh, is my sense as someone who doesn't have a dog, yep. but observing it from, from my friends who do is that the, the, the right way is, uh, there, maybe there's not an objective right way. It's, it's kind of polarizing, right? Yep. It, I, and in a lot of ways, it, it feels to me like parenting, yeah. you know, and, and, uh, and so the, the two prong question is, you know, that, I mean, the literal like elevation of dogs to, to, to children, mm-hmm. uh, and, and how like we as a society have, have done that just kind of your perspective on, yeah. on how we, uh, relate to dogs yep. and, and if, you know, if there is a right way. Mm-hmm. And, and when you say the right way, do you mean how to train the dog? Yeah, sure. So to answer the first question, so, you know, if you look at the way society is shifting, right? People are getting married later. They're having kids later or not having kids at all, right? And in a world where like the internet can be such a cruel place sometimes, the solitude of coming home if you don't have a significant other and you don't have a kid because you don't have a significant other, right? Being able to go home to your dog and have that dog be able to just fill every emotional void that you have is one of the biggest things going on in the dog world right now, which is causing people to get dogs. And also one of the biggest things that's causing our industries to blow up because we're treating dogs like children, right? And they're not kids. We could love them as much as we love our kids all day long, right? Or we could say we love them as much as we love our kids, um, but they're not children and they're a completely different species and they learn in completely different ways, right? So past that, as dogs are becoming a more important part of our life and filling that human role, what's happening is society is adjusting to meet that from the standpoint of now. I mean, I remember, I think it was six years ago or seven years ago, something like that, maybe a little less is when they first enacted the law or that you could start bringing dogs onto patios again or or bill or whatever the hell it was. Right. Um, and, you know, prior to that, you couldn't take your dog to restaurants, right? Now you could take your dog on the patios with you. Now hotels are becoming increasingly more dog popular. Now you have these dog park bars that are popping up. There's one in Tremont. They had talks of making one in Middleburg Heights for a little bit and stuff. We're creating more and more things that now you could take your dog everywhere with you yeah, on yeah. top of that dog already filling all of those emotional needs, right? It's it's a double-edged sword because it's good because like, listen, I want to take my dog places with me. Hell yeah, right? Like I get them to hang out with them and then be my buddy and provide all these great experiences for them and stuff like that. But it's bad because as we're allowing people to do more with their dogs, we're not being mindful and cognitive of the fact that a lot of these things we're doing with our dogs are really unnatural for them, 
right? So we could look at like, well, why have behavioral issues gotten so extreme over the last five years with dogs? It's because we're putting them in all new situations that they've never been in five years ago. If you look at the family dog 15 years ago, the yeah. family dog stayed with the family at home. Right. Right. And, uh, you know, if guests came over, you threw them in the yard sometimes you put them in another room if they were badly behaved. And, you know, I remember I share the story all the time when I was a kid, I was at a buddy's house. We we're having a pool party and his dogs. It's hot out. His dog's in the corner. I go over to try to pet it. The dog nails me in the hand real good. Right. It's a pretty bad bite. And my parents were like, why'd you pet the dog? Right. The right. dog's hot in the corner over there. You know, why did you pet the dog? Right. right. And, and it was it was my fault. Right. Where now that same situation that plays today. out that's a big, big, big deal. Right. Um, so, you know, it's funny, our job as dog trainers, getting to then the methods and the right way of things. Sometimes, you know, in the dog world, we get hung up on methods and like, how do we train the dog? How do we do this? But we forget that 75 to 85% of our job is helping owners to just understand the world we're putting their dog in. You know, we joke that we play like therapist with people sometimes, you know, in a lot of cases, it's not so much that the dog needs help. It's that the human needs help. Right. Uh, and we gotta we gotta help them overcome those things. But, but then you get to the the method side of things. Yeah, it is very much like with kids. Like, like, what's the right way to raise your children? It's like you ask ten people, you're gonna get ten different answers, right? You there's there's uh, books out there. We have a, a friend that just had a kid, and she was showing me these uh, these child raising books that she had bought, right? And there were two very popular ones that she bought. One of them was. I don't remember the names of them, but one of them was like the the French nanny or something like that, right? And the book was basically of the mindset of like, discipline is everything, right? Like with your kids, right? You could raise them to be extremely polite, well-balanced, well-mannered children by providing a lot of structure and a lot of discipline for them at a young age uh, to help them adapt into society. And then she had the other book, which was like the second best-selling book, which was the polar opposite. It was like the holistic approach to like micromanage and guide them through everything and allow them to come to their own decisions and create free thinking and like all that kind of stuff. And it's like, you know, we could look at that and we could say, well, those both seem like very, very big extremes. You know what I mean? It's like I, I equate uh, dog training to like U.S. politics, right? There, you look at both of those extremes, their loudest voices are going to be in the extremes, but the majority of people out there would take things in a much more balanced way of looking at individual policies and all that kind of stuff. Or with dog training, we would look at things more situational. It's like, yes, discipline is very important. Being able to provide consequences to your animal is very important or your kid is very important. But do we need to do it for everything? Probably not. There's probably some places that they would benefit from kind of coming to their own conclusions and being a little bit more independent and learning a little bit more naturally and holistically in a, a friendly and fun manner. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but the consequences are still real life and they have to come sometimes, right? Um, so that's kind of where we're at as far as the dog world. And there's a ton of, uh, you know, just like with politics, dog training is very, very political. You know, there's a lot of people on both extremes that believe you should never tell your dog no, or you should basically only tell your dog no for things, uh, that I just think people get too hung up in that side of things and not enough in just, it depends. There's so many variables. Like, what's your life with your dog? Where do you live? What do you need out of them? You know, what can you tolerate where another person might, right? If you got seven kids in the house, you're probably going to need to do things a little different than if you were just a single guy with your dog at home and nobody ever came over the house. You know what I mean? Or if you live on a farm, you could probably give your dog a little bit more freedom than if you live in New York City, right? Totally. 
Lay of the Land is brought to you by John Carroll University's Bowler College of Business, widely recognized as one of the top business schools in the region. As we've heard time and time again from entrepreneurs here on Lay of the Land, many of whom are proud alumni of John Carroll University, success in this ever-changing world of business requires a dynamic and innovative mindset, deep understanding of emerging technologies and systems, strong ethics, leadership prowess, acute business acumen, all qualities nurtured through the Bowler College of Business. With four different MBA programs of study, spanning professional, online, hybrid, and one-year flexible, the Bowler College of Business provides flexible timelines and various class structures for each MBA track, including online, in-person, hybrid, and asynchronous, all to offer the most effective options for you, including the ability to participate in an elective international study tour, providing unparalleled opportunities to expand your global business knowledge by networking with local companies overseas and experiencing a new culture. The career impact of a Bowler MBA is formative and will help prepare you for this future of business and get more out of your career. To learn more about John Carroll University's Bowler MBA programs, please go to business.jcu.edu. The Bowler College of Business is fully accredited by AACSB International, the highest accreditation a college of business can have. You had mentioned the the internet as kind of this catalyst for the, the proliferation of the whole dog training industry. A lot of content out there, yep. which if it's like the case it is in any other industry, there's also a lot of terrible advice out there. Sure. How, and again, this will be a multi-pronged thing because I'd love to hear, you know, your approach to, to content. I know it's been kind of like a core driver sure. for the whole business, but how have you instituted, like, what is, what is the bar for being a dog trainer at Miracle Canine? How do you bring people up on what your, your take on the best practices are and, and your approach to, to actually, yeah. you know, kind of soup to nuts what does it look like, you know, when a, a dog comes in and, or I guess rather the owner comes in and is, 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 is asking you, you know, to, to take them through this process yeah. uh, and the, the, just the approach. Sure. So, so there's kind of multiple questions in there. So the first one is like, you know, how do we, you know, what, what is the qualifications for a miracle canine dog trainer or something along those lines, obviously. Um, so I generally speaking, prefer to bring in my dog trainers pretty green. Right. Um, and that's not because I'm like, my way is the only way. And, you know, you have to learn only my system of things or anything like that. But, you know, like we were just kind of alluding to dog training is a little bit of an art. Right. And sometimes you could run into this boat of the more experience that you have. If it's only been guided in one particular direction, um, the harder of a time you're going to have being open-minded to adjustments you might need to make and things like that, right? So obviously your 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 foundations of your training, your understanding of like how animals learn, your understanding of, you know, your teaching mechanisms and all of that kind of stuff, like that's all pretty cut and dry. You have to understand those things, but the application of those things is really the important side of things, right? Yeah. And that's where if you only have, you know, 10 years of experience in one application of things, sometimes you could be met quite a bit more pushback unintentionally when you try to get them to shift into like a different direction with stuff, right? So I would say the majority of my trainers that I have or have had were pretty green uh, or had a little bit of dog training knowledge. And we were able to kind of shape and mold them into, you know, how we generally approach and look at dog training. Um, but at the same time, you know, uh, one of my uh, trainers that I have right now 
was the exception to that, right? She had almost 10 years of experience at a different company and she's a kick-ass trainer and she was very good at what she did. And uh, she was able to come into the company and adjust really, really well. And, um, you know, kind of, uh, she's, she's, you know, one of our best assets that we have right now, right? So it kind of just depends, um, you know, but I, I think that, you know, you could, you could definitely run into a boat of, of too much experience posing a problem when it comes to trying to represent like the work that we're trying to do, you know, or any individual company is trying to do. Yeah. So, so, so working our way towards the, the growth of the business, yeah. um, cause it's something I'd really love to understand kind of the evolution and, and how it's changed. If you were to just like consider, you know, social media, um, word of mouth, and you know, overall, just building trust yes. as as a brand, mm-hmm. right? How, what did that look like in the early days? When did you know you were onto something that that would unlock this this kind of growth? It's a good question. So the way that I look at currently, kind of how our business model operates, social media is important, right? It definitely generates new clientele, right? But the social media is for some of the trust building side of things. Because generally how things work is early on in the in, in the business, right? We built a really great reputation for ourselves, right? That's got to be your focus initially, right? A lot of people get hung up on social media. I need to do ads. I need to bring in leads, this, that. If you do good work and you do really good work, people will talk about it. And especially if you're a local business, like you're not doing like sales with people like all across the country and stuff like right. that. Which which you are. What's that? Local business. We are a local business. We do do stuff outside of the US or not the US. Uh, we do stuff outside of the state. Um, like we do have clients that come from out of state fairly regularly. I do do virtual consults with people around the world and stuff like that. But predominantly... We're a local business. You know what I mean? We're working with dogs in the greater Cleveland area. Yeah. That's the majority of our clientele that we have. Um, But if you do good work, people will start talking about you. And as people continue talking about you and you build a good name, it's going to grow. You know what I mean? You're going to get clientele in there and you got to be able to nurture that. But here's how it works, right? As we continue to grow, word of mouth starts happening right? People hear about us. They follow us on social media, right? Maybe they haven't pulled the trigger just yet on things because it's a big financial investment. It's a big emotional investment. Again, getting back to like, people don't know that much about like what can training really accomplish. Maybe it was the anomaly that it worked with my neighbor's dog, Right, right. whatever, right? They follow us on social media and then they, because we're consistent with things, we pump out content every single day that they could watch. That content is in the form of Um, educational videos, teaching people things about their dog, teaching people things about their behavioral issues they're experiencing. Could be entertainment, right? We post some stuff that's solely for the sake of entertainment, right? Keep you watching, right? Um, And then we post, uh, uh, call it testimonial type content, right? The the stuff that draws in people to commit to the program, which is like before and after videos of dogs, testimonials that clients send us, things like that, right? And I would say a very large chunk of the people that sign up for training with us, they say, I heard about you through a friend or maybe social media. Maybe they saw an ad or something like that. And then I followed you for like four months, right? And I kept going back and forth on, should I do it? Should I not do it? Should I do it? Should I not do it? But we built enough trust through the consistency of what we were putting out there where they finally pulled the trigger eventually, right? So that's kind of how that funnel, I would say, works. Uh, I would say early on, I recognized that social media was really important about the time that I started getting into this. Some of the big name trainers at the time were first getting started on like 
you know, uh, Facebook. They were making Facebook videos. They were making YouTube videos, yeah, stuff yeah. like that. And they were really blowing up. And I was like, wow, like these people have great names for themselves. Like I'm following these people. Obviously, I'm trying to learn from these people. They have all these people commenting on their stuff all the time. Like maybe I should try to do that, right? And I remember the first time that I really, really realized that this was kind of a game changer was we had this dog. The dog's name was Moose. Shout out, Moose. Um, he was from Shaker Heights, actually. Yeah, if Moose is listening. Yeah, Moose Moose passed away recently, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. but you know, it's it's a it's a you know we we worked with this dog for a long time. You know, yeah, this yeah. was this was, God, this was eight years ago, probably something like that. That we did his training, and he stayed a retain. You know, we can get into obviously the business model of the company, obviously. But he was a uh, he stayed as a client with us. He boarded with us anytime they go out of town, did daycare with us, stuff like that, right? Uh, but anyways, uh, we did training with him and he wasn't the worst dog by any means, but he was probably one of the more challenging dogs we had in, in a while. We got some really good footage of him when he started his training, you know, pretty poorly behaved. Right. Sure. And we got some really unbelievable footage of him post training. Right. And I just whipped up a little before and after video. And at the time I posted it to Facebook and the video kind of blew up. And when I say blew up, like it wasn't going viral, like all over the world, but like locally it was getting shared around a lot. Right. Yeah. And I remember that next week phone was going off the hook. People calling us like, Hey, you know, what's up with your training? I'm interested in working with you, stuff like that. And that's when I really realized, wow, this is, this is something big, you know, um, I need to, I need to keep doing this. And I did that for a long time. I, I tried to get more and more consistent with posting, um, in, I think it was 2017. Yeah. In 2017, I made myself a challenge at the beginning of the year that I was going to post three times a day, every single day. Wow. Right. Which listen, if you're, I have a lot of empathy for people that are business owners that are also content creators as well, because if you're operating a company, right, and you're making content, that's a lot of work. Making content is like a full-time job, especially if you want to be as consistent as you need to be about it, right? So, so whatever. So I stuck to it and I posted three times a day, every single day. I missed a handful of days here and there, but for the majority of the time I was, I was able to get that done. And the growth we saw in the company over the course of that year, and more specifically, the growth I saw for like my personal brand exploded, right? And that I would say is was right around the time when I was really getting serious if I need to exit this company that I was uh, with my business partner with, because I realized how much bigger this could be than what it currently was. This could be a lot bigger than just some small local company, you know? So um, that happened. And then... Um, you know, through all that, I, that's when I wound up realizing this is way too much work for me. I can't keep doing this. <laughs> and, uh, that's when I started getting into hiring media people, which, um, that would, that was the, the talk about taking risks, right? You know, like when you're a small business, the idea of putting aside a full-time salary for somebody to generate media for you it's very, very, very hard to calculate like an ROI on that. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's actually, it's impossible to calculate an ROI on it. You just have to kind of trust that it's the right decision, you know, and, um, did that for a while. And, uh, you know, as things grew and I realized again, how much that kept building on itself, we're actually at a point where we have, we have three media people that work for us. Two of them are full-time. One of them is kind of like a part-time guy. That is the one I do my podcast with. Amazing. Yeah. So with all that, could you take us through just what, what the company looks like today? And the business model, as you were alluding to. So we are predominantly a training company. That's the one thing I always tell everybody, right? So training is our bread and butter, right? We 
work predominantly with behavioral modification. So dogs that are coming in, not just because they're a puppy and need obedience training, we do that. We help people with that. But more importantly, people that are really struggling with their dog and their issues, right? So uh, people will hire us for service. We offer either board and train services for people where the dog will stay with us for a little bit. We do the training. We send the dog home. We help the dog reintegrate back into the house or we offer one-on-one classes for people. And um, our philosophy on training is we don't do a la carte, right? So we offer two training programs that you could choose from. One is the behavioral modification board and train. One is the behavioral modification one-on-one course. You're either doing full training or you're not doing any training, right? So we want to get you to fully commit as a customer to us, right? Once you've done your training with us or in our system, right, in our family per se, you're eligible to use any of our additional services, which is boarding and daycare then at that point, right? The boarding and the daycare is a very, very, very underlooked part that I think a lot of training companies need to take a look at adding to their services if they're not doing it. And though it's a little bit of a a, a hassle initially because you have all these dogs in your care, right? You need to hire a lot more staff in order to do that than you would if you were just offering training. Um, What happens is you keep people in the system where you're always their go-to for everything. So you get the lifetime customers. I was telling you about Moose, right? Moose was a lifetime customer with us. And because of that, they will never go anywhere else for anything they need. Where on the contrary, there's a couple places around here, some of our big competitors that do great work, not saying that they're bad by any means, but they don't offer those services. They just do their training, right? And what winds up happening is they do their training. Then a year later, they need to find a boarding kennel, right? They look around and naturally they're going to want to find somebody specialized that's experienced in training that can maintain the hard work that they put into things. They find out that we train in a very similar fashion. They start bringing the dog to us. And because of that, um, when they start running into issues, we're the go-to then for them, right? So we then generate that training clientele out of them because it's easier. It's convenience. They're already bringing the dog to us, right? Uh, And tack on to that because we're so consistent with everything else, right? The, The trust has then been established also between us and them then at that point. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's, it's almost like, Vertical integration for the the life cycle of of dogs, if you will. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Then you get into, you know, they board with them the whole time, right? Like a dog passes away, they get another one. Like we're we're kind of the go-to for that. And we want to draw people. And this is something I remember my business partner made really clear to me initially because early on in um early on in the company when we started our first company. I was looking at numbers and I was like, well, we're making way more off of training than we are off of boarding or daycare, any of those types of things. But he got me to look at the bigger picture of, well, let's break this down, right? Let's say this client who purchased, let's just say our expensive program, a $4,200 program with us, right? Starts boarding with us twice a year and does daycare once every three months with their dog and does that for five years. He's like, do the math on that. I was like, oh shit, you're right. That's like $10,000, right? That's like $12,000, right? So ultimately, your percent that you're making off of the client starts getting skewed much more heavily in the other direction. And as the years go on and you get more and more people into your company, right, that number will greatly start to outweigh the other one, you know? And it's more seasonal, right? Like you look at boarding, like obviously like your holiday, like we're in our busy boarding season right now, summer and holiday season, right? January, February, March comes around. It's going to slow down quite a bit and training is going to greatly outshoot that. Right. Um, But, um, 
you know, uh, in the long run, like they're very, very important services to offer. And I think that's a big part of our model that helps people coming to us. And a lot of reason why people choose us over other training companies is because they know they're going to need the boarding and daycare later. So they like the idea that they could get it all with us. Well, I'll do the training with you because I'm going to board with you anyways. Right, right. You mentioned the the bigger picture. Yeah. Um, I, I love if you could paint that that for us. You know, what what is what is the future of Miracle Canine? Where are you trying to take this? And with that, you know, what, what does success look like? You know, if you could look back in retrospect from that point in time. Loaded questions. I like it. Uh, let me think about this for a minute. Okay. So the one thing that I think we've always been very good at is adaptability, right? So you or, or your partner mentioned like COVID, for example, right? Like COVID brought a boom of business into the dog industry. And a lot of people equated that to people are getting dogs, COVID puppies, you know, stuff like that. Um, in actuality, what I think it was, was that people were working from home and they couldn't escape their dog's poor behavior that they already had right? Most of the dogs we got in were not puppies that people were getting from COVID. We did get some of those, right? We did keep people rescuing dogs because they had more time for it. Uh, but predominantly, it was people like, damn, like I'm home trying to do this Zoom call and my dog is just going bananas in the other room and I can't focus, right? right? And before they were able to just go to work and forget about it and then come home and then give the dog attention where it's not a problem, right? So, so when I say we were really adaptable, what I mean by that is we were able to, we were very quick to scale and descale based on the demand that we had, right? Because, you know, in that huge boom we had, like end of 2020 and 2021, right? If we were staffed to handle that amount of uh, business prior to that, we would have went out of business. We couldn't afford that much, that much staffing, obviously, right? But we were able to grow really rapidly. And I think that our kind of system we have as far as kind of getting trainers onboarded and being able to have people that are great trainers, um, but maybe a little bit newer of trainers provide the same level of service to these clients uh, that they would expect if like myself was doing the training. You know what I mean? Um, we were able to grow and we were able to take advantage of that boom, right? And then when things kind of started dipping down again, we were able to kind of just repurpose people and move them in different directions where we needed more support and um, kind of descale down to match that a little bit and then grow other areas of the company, whether it was boarding or daycare, right? So um, that was really good. Um, I think what we're looking for right now is we want to continue to to get more and more like boutique with things. I think as we're moving towards more over the last couple of years, COVID, right? Past there being a lot of demand for it. One thing that's really picked up a lot is like online dog training, right? People that are doing virtual stuff with people. And, and though we take advantage of a little bit of that. I think that you can't discredit that there are just some cases where you need the in-person help. And as we hit a point where people really need the help and most of the other trainers are moving towards trying to offer this like virtual kind of support for people. The in-person help is going to become much, much more in demand and much, much more profitable than at that point. So I think at this point, we're looking to kind of figure out a way to, to make our services a little bit more boutique and shrink things back down a little bit um, to, to, to help in that area. That makes sense. Sure. Yeah. Building on that. Yeah. The, you know, the, the second or the flip side of that coin maybe is what, what does success look like and, and what is that impact that you hope to have looking back? Success is being able to help as many people as we can. Right. 
I don't ever want to feel like we're like selling out at the risk of our clientele because getting back to you look at the very first most important thing when you first start your company, it's providing really excellent results that people are going to talk about. And as you grow, it gets harder and harder to manage that, obviously. But if you could keep that your kind of North Star and focus on it, it's going to put you in a position to always do the right thing, right? As you grow and you work with more clients, you run into issues, right? Obviously, you're going to run into unsatisfied clients sometimes, right? And if that's your North Star, you're going to handle those things properly in a way where everybody is going to leave not feeling like shafted on anything. You know what I mean? Um, So I would say that is the most important thing. And no matter what that looks like, no matter how we scale or grow, um, the reason why we get so passionate about this industry is because we could see firsthand how impactful it can be on people's lives, you know? Yeah. Um, and I mean, you just go through, like if, if you, you're listening to this and are just curious, like even if you don't have a dog, like go on our Google page. We have like, I think, we, I think we're probably the only dog trainer in the Cleveland area that has a perfect five-star rating with like 225 reviews or something like that, where you could just read them and listen to the the relief and the pain people were feeling prior to starting the training and how much better their relationship is with their dog uh, because of it. Especially when you look at society shifting to dogs are like the most important thing to some people. Um, that's massive, right? Imagine if you have a kid and you have a terrible relationship with your kid because you just don't understand them. You don't understand how to communicate with them. And somehow that got fixed. And then you had a great relationship with them. That's how people are feeling about their dogs, right? Highly compelling. Yeah. It's, it's, it's massive. Right. So, so that's, that's it. Right. Like if we could just continue doing that, like that's why I'm doing this. Right. And yeah, like money is great. Right. Like creating business is great. Uh, I like, you know, when you look at it from the entrepreneurial side of things, right. Like I like providing, uh, uh, opportunities for people, right? Like I love this idea that there's 15 people that work for us that they depend on me. You know what I mean? Like for their livelihood, like that's pretty cool as well. It's stressful sometimes. Right. Um, but it's, it's a cool feeling knowing that I'm helping those people as well, right. And in a completely different fashion. Right. Um, so I would say that's it, right? Like the, the North star, the goal is, is that just keep doing the best work that you can and, you know, focus on that. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. It's awesome. What, uh, in more reflection have been the, the biggest mistakes that, that you've made along the way? This one I thought a lot about because I saw this one on your thing. And this is always one of those questions I feel like people ask and it's like, God, like, you know, what do I say for it or this or that? Right. So I'll, I'll answer it a couple of different ways. Right. So from a personal standpoint, I would say the biggest mistakes that I made was putting my emotions in things too much. Right. Um, there is a direct representation of where you're at personally in your life. If you're really happy, if you're really sad, if you're going through a rough time, stuff like that and how the company is going to operate, right? You as the leader, as the forefront person, that energy is going to seep into everybody else, right? Um, So from a personal standpoint, being mindful of that Mm. and making sure that if you are going through a rough time, focusing on yourself first, getting yourself into a better spot, or if you're not able to do that rapidly, kind of check yourself before you do any sort of interactions with the company to get yourself into like kind of like put the happy face on and uh, and and keep the energy kind of going. Right. Um, from a operations standpoint, 
the same idea, but with people, right? Look at your staff. And he was he was talking about he only wants the the hell yes people, right? Or one of the companies that he works with only wants the hell yes people. Now, I'm not saying everybody needs to be like hell yes all the time, right? But um, you cannot discredit how you know some of your best employees you might have from a um, operational standpoint and the work they do and stuff like that. You might have the greatest trainer in the world if their attitude isn't there and they don't get along with people very well or things like that. It's going to ruin your company. Right. So be very aware of that and get that in check right away. Right. Culture is so important for keeping people aligned on the same vision. Right. Um, past that from an operational standpoint, um, you know, focusing on the business side of things and understanding it really well initially is so important. In my first company, I don't think either of us really understood the business side of things as good as we needed to. That it showed itself in issues when it came to like end of the year, like we all did some taxes and oh shit, we don't have that. We need to set up a payment plan and, you know, or contracts that you have in place. And the reason why yeah, you have yeah. certain things in your contracts and all of that, right? Um, just just making sure you're being mindful of all those things and trying to cover your bases as best as you can, whether that means you're finding a mentor in your field that's made all of those mistakes. Like I do a lot of coaching with younger trainers around the country and uh it's funny, like all of the issues that they come and, and present to me, I was like, yep, did that, <laughs> right? Like been there, right? Here's how you handle that. Here's how I grew from it. You know, you can really, really expedite some of the learning curve, you know, by doing that, obviously. Um, and, and past that, I don't even know if this is necessarily a massive mistake that I made, but something I became increasingly more aware of as I moved through business was- sure. Understanding that the people that work for you, they are they're they're people. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. and and sometimes you can get a little too like I have a very binary brain. Like it's either this way or this way, and there's no gray area behind it, and blah blah blah. You know what I mean? But like when you factor in like emotions and like personal lives, like all that kind of stuff, like there's just there's an infinite amount of variables to things, and and you just need to be aware of that. Right. And, 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 you know, do your best to always just have the right intentions and hear people out and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Oh, very cool. I'm always curious in, in this re reflection, uh, thread, how the, the aspects of your, your former life have influenced the work you're doing today. And, you know, I, I always kind of think as, you know, the, the, the touring artist as a, an entrepreneurial undertaking, but I, I'm curious if, if, um, you know, any of the transferable lessons or experiences from, from that walk of life? I think the thing that's tough is that like, I'm still so young, right? So if you look at like, so I started my first dog training company when I was like 21 or something like that, you know, I was like right around there, 2021, right? Yeah. So when I was playing in music, I was like 18, you know, 17, stuff like that. And Damn, we were so young. And and yes, I do think there's something to be said about like, I did have like kind of the mind of like, this is this group of people, right? And we're all collectively trying to strive towards this goal. And there was no appointed like manager or like you're in charge of keeping us all on track and stuff like that. And I think I always kind of fell into that role a little bit. Um, so, so, so I think that I think. I think that, you know, you definitely can learn how like people need to be guided a little bit sometimes. Right. But I joke all the time. Like if I were to go back in time now with all the knowledge I had and be in that band, right. After watching like all these other like local bands and like what they currently do and all the mistakes we made and the traction we were able to gain, not knowing anything about anything at the time, man, I feel like 
I'm pretty confident we could we could have blew that up quite a bit more than we did yeah, right yeah. now. You know what I mean? Like, so I think it's more the other way around. Like taking the lessons I learned from this yeah, and applying yeah. to that. Like you can realize that everything you're doing. Like if you're trying to make a name for yourself, whether it's music, whether it's business, whether it's whatever, you're a freaking plumber or something like that. Like, um, you know, you if you're if you're you're focused on your vision with it and you come up with your path to get there and and the steps along the way, um, you know, you can make some big things happen for sure. Yeah. 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 It, you have your product and you have distribution. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's like music. It's like the song is the product. Right. And it's like, how do we distribute this? Right. Like, yeah. how do we grow this? How do we market this? Right. That's another that the marketing side of things, like just like people got to realize how important that is right now. You know, it, it, I, I cannot I cannot stress it enough. Like I've said multiple times already of like, you know, being aware of like my competition and stuff like that, just on a local level. And, you know, if you're not making a name for yourself and putting yourself out there and generating content for people, like in this day and age where everything is on the internet, um, you, you're, you're missing out, man. Like even when I'm looking to hire people for work, right. Yeah, Unrelated yeah. to my company, like if I need to hire a freaking groomer for my cat or I need to like hire a, a mechanic or, uh, need to learn how to do a b c or d it's like you know if i go on your website or your social media channel or this or that and there's just like nothing there like my expectations are just like so low already i feel like yeah it matters a lot yeah i am curious how you know with it as a as a big strength uh, of your organization how you stay abreast just you know tiktok or you know like when you've built this you know brand asset you know on youtube for example like mm-hmm. How do you think about just all the different channels of of distribution? Well, I, I we've always kind of subscribed to like the Gary Vaynerchuk model of things, which is like if you could get one person that like films a lot of long form content and then get somebody to just clip it up and post it. And then, you know, you want to be noticed around all these platforms. And it's like you can get super hung up sometimes in creating like what's the trending thing on TikTok? What's the trending thing on Instagram? What's the trending thing on YouTube? And though that's, I'm sure, very important. And I'm sure if we did that with every single platform, we would have a much bigger following than we currently do. Um, you know, you look at some of those guys like Gary Vaynerchuk has a team of like 25 people that do that. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So uh, we have three people, which is a lot. And it's more than most people do. And we've been able to come up with a model where basically the structure of things is we have my podcast guy who I film my podcast with every week and he edits the video and puts it on YouTube, right? I have another girl that's a long form content creator that basically falls around at the facility twice a week. And she films basically two pieces of long form content per week. And then I have one other girl that then takes those three things and clips them down and then cross post them amongst all platforms. Um, and that's worked out pretty well for us so far. Like I said, I'm sure there's areas we could take much more advantage of things um, and, um, you know, spend more time on, you know, making things specific for TikTok. Like there's certain things like the platforms do where it's like, if you edit the content within the platform, they push that content more, right? So a lot of these guys that blow up on TikTok, a lot of the reason why the algorithm catches them past them making good content is the fact that they're doing everything just through TikTok. They film the video on TikTok, they edit it on TikTok, they post it on TikTok, right? They use all of the features TikTok has on all of those types of things, right? And it's funny because if you look at a lot of those guys, like in the dog training space, there's a couple big names on TikTok, for example, that have like two, three, four million followers. Uh, if you look at them on all their other platforms, they might have 10,000 followers, right? And right, they're right. cross-posting the same content, but it's not picking up the same on those platforms because it's not created in that platform, right? Um, so we've always taken the more broad paint stroke approach 
Uh, And I don't know if it's necessarily right or wrong. Like I'd love to have 4 million followers on TikTok, right? Um, But we've taken the broad paint stroke approach of like, I'd rather have a moderate amount of followers on all of these platforms and have a presence on all of them um, than just specialize in like one singular one, you know? Yeah, Uh, makes sense. So that's how we've looked at media, at least over the last couple of years. And we have regular meetings, like I would say once a quarter. We sit down and we look at like, are there new platforms around? Like, uh, we never used to post content on like we used to do. Uh, we used to do Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram, right? The big four, right? And um, you know, with Elon Musk recently buying Twitter and turning it into X, and then like Rumble's gotten really big lately, and platforms like that. In our last meeting, we we're like, let's start posting on those platforms also. Just see, you know, see what happens. So we added those into the mix, and we're kind of just seeing how it goes over the next six months. And if they start becoming prevalent or popular, then, you know, we could put a little more attention into them. What do you wish more people understood about dogs that, that they don't? <laughs> that they're not humans is obviously very, very important, right? If you become self-aware that your dog is not a child and all of those things you're telling yourself about what you should do with your dog because that's how you would treat a child is just false and just throw it out the window, you're going to be much better off, right? Um, Thing number two is that, this is a good one, just because you had one or two dogs before that were really well behaved does not mean that you're a phenomenal dog trainer. And I say this not to shame those people or be like, whatever, but I think one of the the biggest things that we hear from people is I've had two dogs, three dogs before, and I trained them all myself, and this one just doesn't get it, right? And because they've convinced themselves that they are very good at training dogs, they they are not self-aware of the things they might be doing incorrect with their new dog, right? Where in actuality, sometimes you just get easy dogs, really well-tempered dogs. Most behavioral issues we experience are not because the owners did something bad to the dogs or the dogs had a bad past or anything like that. It's because it's because we just didn't understand them, right? And their genetics are just a little bit off sometimes and they just need something different, Right. Um, so I think that's very important to be aware that all dogs are a little bit different. Sometimes there's easy dogs out there um, and, you know, um, it'll, it'll cause you to seek out professional help faster, I think, and help you get past your issues faster. Uh, and then the last thing I would say is um, be okay with, be okay with your not, your dog not being perfect all the time, Right. <laughs> I think sometimes in the, 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 the dog training space, as we start seeing results with dogs, people create this picture in their head of what their dog should be, right? And in a lot of cases, we could get pretty close to that, but sometimes there's variables outside of our control that, you know, if we just accept this quirky behavior that the dog does, right? Um, assuming it's not anything that's super serious or dangerous or anything like that, if we could just accept that, a lot of times it becomes not a problem. You know what I mean? We we sometimes create these pictures in our head of what it should look like when it doesn't have to look like that. You could live a great life with your dog um, without them being, you know, this like show dog, perfectly trained uh, 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 creature, you know? So there's a lot of things, but I would say those are those are three good ones. Accept your dog a little bit. Understand who the, 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 the moral of all three of those is try to get to the root of who is your dog and accept their flaws as you strive towards better. Oh, that's good. 
I feel, I feel like the, the, the wisdom there, you know, applies maybe beyond dogs sure. as well. A lot of it does. A lot of it does, man. You know, that's why I said like, you know, dog training, like our job is like, we're, we're playing basically human, you know, therapists with people. Right. And like I talked about how in business, like if you're struggling personally, your company is going to struggle. If you're struggling personally, your dog's going to struggle sometimes. You know, you put a lot of a lot of emotions that dogs don't necessarily understand on them through some of your own personal issues you're experiencing sometimes. What is it meant to build this company in Cleveland? In Cleveland specifically, yeah, and the role that you know maybe you've found the yeah, community yeah. has played. No, this in, is in this that. is a good one, right? So, uh, before I left my first company um, in 2018, I was strongly, strongly, strongly considering moving to Chicago and starting it there instead, yeah. right? And I went to Chicago once a month for almost the entire year of 2018, and I trained dogs. And I started developing a little bit of a clientele out there. And one thing I realized as I was looking at all these different places and as I started getting more connected with other business owners and dog trainers and stuff around the country is that the community and that like small time town feel that Cleveland kind of has, right? Of like all the business owners kind of know each other a little bit and all the bars and restaurant owners, they're all kind of buddies and this and that. It doesn't really exist that much in a lot of those other places. And this isn't all like, oh, go Cleveland. It's the best place ever, even though I, I love it, right? But like there really is a very interesting thing in Cleveland where it's like, it's 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 got all the perks of a big city, I feel like. But it's got that kind of small city vibe to it still as far as that's concerned, you know? And I don't know. I mean, you know, there's still competition, right? There's still, uh, you know, it's still business, right? We're still trying to all outdo everybody else to some extent, right? Um, but, you know, especially in this field, it's, it, dog training is a really cool field because I could work with people of every single walk of life, right? Like the amount of different business owners I've met or people that are doing really interesting, unique things and stuff. And the people I've been able to connect with has been really, really, really cool. Um, and yeah, it's just neat to, to kind of feel like, you know, you can make connections with other like-minded folk, you know, um, that I feel like would probably be a lot more difficult to do elsewhere. And actually, now that I think about it, I think a lot of it has to do with, if you look at your bigger cities, New York, Chicago, stuff like that. Um, most of the people there are people that, uh, like came, went there, you know what I mean? They're not born and raised there. So they went there. So they don't have that kind of connection, you know, like, like they would somewhere like here, where I feel like a lot of the people in Cleveland that are business owners, probably I would, I would assume are predominantly from Cleveland. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think that's probably a lot of it. Yeah. I think we, you know, we've covered a, a lot of ground here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you going into yeah. all different directions. Um, is there anything that, that we haven't, talked about as part of your journey, as part of Miracle Canine's evolution that uh, you feel is particularly important to, to talk about? I guess the last point that I would say, I got a call. So like, I know what sparked this conversation was like the 30 under 30 thing, right? And when I got that, I got a call from somebody at some, I don't know, Cleveland, like incubator kind of thing or whatever. And she just wanted like a quote of like, you know, what does it mean to you that you got this and this and that? And um, getting back to like, I never had like entrepreneurial thoughts or anything like as a kid. And frankly, like I was terrible at school, right? I didn't do very well. Um, that was like a huge contention point, uh, amongst my family and I, um, and just the fact that like, it, it is crazy looking back at like what we've been able to create and 
as somebody who barely passed high school, didn't go to college, right? But like I always, it wasn't because I was lazy. I just couldn't focus on that, you know? But like I was putting all this effort into the things I actually cared about. And and I do think it's it's so cliche because everybody says it, but it's like, highlighting like just because you weren't good in school you know just because you might not get good grades and all that kind of stuff as long as you can work hard and have a goal and focus on that goal and be ready to kind of eat some shit to get to that goal you could do a lot you know and you could make a really awesome life for yourself um and i think that would be that would be the piece of advice or last thing i would kind of put out yeah i love it well, I'll, I'll ask you then our, our traditional closing question, uh, which is for a hidden gem in Cleveland. What is what? A hidden gem. Oh, Jesus Christ. I wasn't prepared for that one. Let me think about this for a minute. I, I'll give you I'll give you one just because I was there recently and it comes with the uh, the the um, you're talking just like a, a business. Uh, anything could be you anything. Know, yeah. Restaurants, nature, yeah, yeah, yeah. places, people. Okay. Yeah. So, so, um, one, we can't discredit the accessibility of everywhere from Cleveland. Right. So like whether you need to like fly to like a different state or something like that or whatever, our airport is so easy to navigate and it's not super big and you can get anywhere from it is really awesome. Right. Um, accessibility from a driving standpoint, the fact that Cleveland has all of the things you could want from again, big city, small town, lakefront national park great hiking you know what i mean like that's one thing that i think sets cleveland apart from a lot of other places and then just a shout out like a business i would say um the most un one of the most underrated restaurants i think in all of cleveland is the schnitzel house in parma mm. have you ever had it i have it oh my god well it's, it's like Oktoberfest season which is why i bring that one up and i yeah, was just yeah. there like two weeks ago uh the schnitzel house in cleveland they also just opened schnitz ale brewery there um, it is, it's 10 out of 10 if you like, uh, like German food. Oh, phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Uh, well, David, I just want to thank you for coming on the podcast. Yeah. Sharing your story. If, uh, if people had anything that they wanted to follow up with you about, yeah, what would be the best way for them to do so? Yeah. So, um, we're miracle canine training on everything. It's miracle. And then the letter K and the number nine, uh, Instagram is like our predominant platform. I would say as far as like communication and stuff like that, we'll get back to you anywhere, but that's the one that I would say we're the most active on, uh, across all of them. Um, additionally, uh, I do, I do host the Dave of the dog trainer podcast. Uh, we're 134 or 35 episodes in at this point that comes out every week on Spotify. You can listen to that. And yeah, if you're a dog owner looking for help with your dog, we'd love to help you out. Miracle Canine Training Everywhere. You could read all our services and rates and stuff on our website. If you're looking to just learn about dog training, but maybe not sign up for anything, the podcast is a great resource. Our YouTube channel has a ton of really, 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 really great content you can look into. Amazing. Thank you. Yeah. That's all for this week. Thank you for listening. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show. So if you have any feedback, please send over an email to jeffrey at layoftheland.fm or find us on Twitter at podlayoftheland or at sternhefe, J-E-F-E. If you or someone you know would make a good guest for our show, please reach out as well and let us know. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or on your preferred podcast player. Your support goes a long way to help us spread the word and continue to bring the Cleveland founders and builders we love having on the show. We'll be back here next week at the same time to map more of the land. The Lay of the Land podcast was developed in collaboration with The Up Company, LLC. 
At the time of this recording, unless otherwise indicated, we do not own equity or other financial interests in the company which appear on this show. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of any entity which employs us. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Thank you for listening and we'll talk to you next week.